All right, guys. Uh, welcome to our uh, Wednesday CMI School of Christ uh, lesson. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate that. Today, we're going to uh, continue in our look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. We've gone through several of the verses. We are in verse 9 today, and we're going to not rehash things that we've talked about before, um, except to reiterate the fact that to contextualize what we're looking at, Jesus is here sitting in the midst of, a, of a, an assembled people on a mountain, a mountain which many of uh, many theologians and biblical commentators throughout the throughout the years have called the Mount Sinai of the New Covenant of the New Testament, and I think that's a fitting uh, title because what you have here is Jesus now presenting to these who have come to hear him the answer to the hope and expectation of the age of testimony in which they were waiting for the consummation of Israel, the promises to be fulfilled, the kingdom to come, the messianic age to begin. This is him presenting to these people himself as the fulfillment of all of these things. And that becomes evident when he actually says those words later in this chapter, when he says, think not that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets, I have come to fulfill it. This is him still in that context, declaring the reality of a fulfilled covenant, of a fulfilled testimony, of the law fulfilled, of the righteousness of the law realized in and as him not the potential that we have or the potential that these folk had to actually become good people, to live like Jesus, to have the ability to fulfill the law, because that's never possible. Throughout the scripture, it is stated very plainly that the law was not a means for men to be righteous. The law was a testimony of one righteous man. That is why, as Paul would say in Romans 8, the law has to be now by the spirit of life living in us, which has internally freed us from the law of sin and death. That's an internal law. That's the law under the headship of, the, of Adam. In Christ, we have, by the law of the spirit of life, been freed from the internal constraints of death and corruptibility and had the very life of which the law testified, the spiritual substance and amen of the words of the testimony now abiding in us in their spiritual completion and completeness, their substantiation in the person of Christ who abides in us by his spirit. That's what Jesus here is offering to these people. He is offering to them the blessings of the new covenant to those who will come and receive him. The, those who will come in an understanding that they are poor in the matters of the spirit, 
that if they would come to him, they would receive the land uh, promised, you know, uh, all of the things that we've already talked about of the purity of heart that he would be made unto them a perfect heart that God by his spirit would give to us a, a heart in which his law is written as the law of life abiding. And it's no different than here in the same context. We, we are seeing Jesus conveying the blessed state of those who would be called the sons of God because they are called now peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. This does not mean unless you're a peacemaker, you're not a son of God. This is, again, it's not if this, then this. It is a description by Jesus of saying this is a condition and this is the result of that condition as far as because if you come to me, I'll make you sons of God. We'll, we'll talk about that. You will be peacemakers. Because as sons of God, you have come to something that makes you cognizant of a peace that has come that those who are still abiding under the law, the rituals of religion, do not understand that degree of peace. They have no comprehension of the peace that has come. Therefore, they still are attempting to gather that peace, to acquire peace by whatever means, methodologies, works, observations of the law that they can. Those who are now the sons of God are called peacemakers. Why? Because they are the ones who will become declarers of a peace that has come that passes all natural understanding, a peace that God promised that he has now fulfilled in the heart of those who have come. So let's read it. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, verse nine, for they shall be called the sons of God. The word here, peacemaker, uh, from the uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon is a person who restores peace between parties. Uh, that's important because first it has to be a peace between man and God. That's a peace that only God himself can bring about. Man has no ability to bring that peace about, but God's design, God's peace was to do just that. Uh, this is from the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary. Um, let's see. Yeah, it was not until Christ made peace by the blood of Christ, by the blood of the cross, that God could manifest Himself as the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great Shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. That's Hebrews chapter 13, basically. Uh, he could reveal himself as in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. This is part of the peace that has come through the, through the work of the cross.
he could hold himself forth in the astonishing attitude of beseeching men to be reconciled to himself, calling, inviting those who would come to come and receive. And when this reconciliation and, and all of that was from Second Corinthians chapter five, you already understood that, I, I'm sure. And that has to do on the heels of where he says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, 18, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old have, things have passed away. The new things have come. That's the reality of this peace that he's brought about, the work of reconciliation, the work of peace with God. Um, and when this, when this reconciliation takes, took place, and one has peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, even the peace of God, which passes again, understanding the peace receiver. Listen to this. The peace receiver as now a son of God by faith through grace becomes a peace diffuser, meaning he becomes a presenter and a proclamation comes forth out from that experience of receiving the peace with God that no man understood could possibly be uh, acquired or achieved. And it couldn't be, it had to be a gift through this work of the blood of Jesus, where he's reconciling the world and himself, not imputing sins unto men. The, the peace receivers understand that come to comprehend this great peace that he has brought. And we're going to talk about peace because uh, most people's misunderstanding of the term peace is, is the prerequisite to a lot of the misunderstandings with regard to this peacemaker. Because we, we think of it as going into situations, circumstances with family, friends, whoever, uh, situations that we, we are brought into by whatever means. And we, we normally take that as we become peacemakers when we sit down to the table and bring peace between two parties. Um, and, you know, the person who restores peace between people, that's true, but this is not what it's actually referring to. It's not about sitting down at the table, having men, you know, hash out their differences so they can finally come to some mutual agreement and thus have peace. That's a very shallow example of peace. That's a shallow understanding of peace. In this context, we're talking about a peace that God himself imputes to a soul. And when that soul has had such a divine peace wrought within it, that soul can do nothing more than declare to all who need to hear the peace of God and all who have that peace to confirm it. But all who need that peace, he becomes a, a one who declares that peace to, to those who need to hear. And we'll read, read that in a moment as well. Um, the gospel itself is called the gospel of peace. Because it is the declaration, and, and some commentaries will say it's the gospel of peace because it's the way in which, you know, it, it reconciles men to God. To a degree, I agree, I agree with that, but let's say it this way. I think it's more exact to say it or more true to say it this way. The gospel is the declaration 
that God and man can have peace. And if they come, the gospel is that in Christ, we do have peace. See, it's not saying one day we're going to get peace. It is saying if you are born again, you have come to peace with God. You have come to a place, and we could say it in, in different ways. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are complete in him. Those are declarations of peace with God. And we'll, we'll see that in a moment again because of the misunderstanding of peace. We can't really grasp that. Um, Colossians chapter 1 gets into this by saying this. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 through 22. For it pleased the Father that in him, that's Christ, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's the peace that he has brought about through the work of his cross. We could now be brought into a reality through his work, through his grace, through this once and for all offering by which he has perfected those who are sanctified. That through the work of his flesh, through the death of the cross, we can now, by his very life dwelling in us, now through that work becoming dead to sin, alive unto God through Christ, we can now in him be holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. That's peace. That's not an emotional peace that comes because circumstances are in our favor instead of in opposition. That's how we think peace or what we think peace is. We think peace is the absence of adverse situations and circumstances. Peace is beyond that. Peace is much more than that. Peace has to do with a state of being that has been wrought in a soul that leaves a soul uncondemned in the sight of God, that leaves a soul without reproach and without blame in the sight of God. That's quite a miracle. And it's that peace that the sons of God understand that they now possess. And they go and proclaim that peace to those who will hear. That's the peacemaker. Who will say, listen, the war is over. The truth has come. He is present. Come to him and receive the peace of God, peace with God, peace of God, peace with peace with the God that your soul's previous state of being from which the previous state of your soul kept you at a distance. Now you can have peace. 
Now you can be in a relationship of rest where he cannot look at you and see what you see. But he looks at the beloved who is your life now by his grace. And he sees a soul unblameable, unreprovable, and uncondemned due to the work that he has wrought. That is the peace that most people who have that peace because they have Christ within them do not understand because they're still trying to get God to like them. They're still trying to get God to look at them favorably and nod in acceptance. I'm telling you, he looks favorably and nods in eternal delight upon one man and unto one man. The peace that we have is that that one who is at peace with God entirely and unbreakably is our life. That is the gift unto which God has given the sons of God. That's the gift he's given to the sons of God. And that's the truth that the sons of God declare to those who are, who are in and out of the house. Peace with God is declared as what? Not I, but Christ liveth in me. The meek shall inherit the earth, Psalms 37, 11 says, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. We've already talked about the meek shall inherit the earth in this Sermon on the Mount, because this is where he gets that. And, and declares, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, well, because in the same vein and in the same reality and at the same moment, we know the meek inheriting the earth reaches back into the old covenant of a promise of a land of promise, the true land of promise that he was giving to them that he would bring them to by the blood, by the work of the lamb, delivering them from death, delivering them from sin and death and corruption in Egypt. All of that stands for that. He promised the land. And you see in Solomon, it's a land ruled by one king who is full of wisdom, understanding, whose very presence causes the queen of Sheba to fall on her face, having passed out due to the glory and wisdom that she beheld in him. And you read it said of that land, of that kingdom, in the moments and times of his reign, that that land had no enemy. That land prospered, had no enemies in it, and all looked to that land for all supply. 
and brought unto that land everything they had. What a beautiful picture. And now to be under the kingship, under the headship, under the government, uh, under the governance of the greater than Solomon as those who are in Christ, the abundance of peace has come. We are now dwelling in that land of inheritance that abounds with peace where there's no enemies at all. Not even you. <laughs> You're not even an enemy. because that has been removed. Everything of us that, which is that first condition, the internal state of sin and corruptibility has been removed. That which was contrary to God himself and all that God desired has been removed. The man of sin has been removed by the work of this cross, and God has imputed now another life, a new man. He has brought the true government of grace into the soul. Thus bringing peace. Psalms 119, we're doing a study on Psalms 119 right now in some other classes. And here in Psalms 119, verse 165, it says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And we're, we're looking in this study of Psalms 119, and I'm posting up on the podcast, um, and they'll also be on the on the uh, Satisfied God podcast, Satisfied God YouTube channel, uh, where those podcasts also go. the The beauty of this is if you look at they which love thy law, it's not just saying they love it, they do it, they do it perfectly, and there it goes. No who love the law to serve it and obey it until its conclusion, until its end. Remember, Psalms 119 is written under the age of testimony. And this man who is writing this psalm is looking, having loved the law, desiring to fulfill and obey the law with all of his heart and might, all the zeal toward it, yet understanding in the midst of that, that he is incapable of keeping it unless God gives him divine assistance and works in him to do this. Basically, he's calling out unto God, praying for the reality that comes in the new covenant when God writes the law in the heart and brings that, that soul that loved the law, that, uh, that, that followed the law, that walked down the pathway called the law, that had one ultimate destination, to bring that soul to one end, and that is Christ. And only those who truly loved the law, didn't use it for their own selfish, self-righteous purposes, would be brought to the end, and they would have great peace. Romans 7 is not a, <laughs> is not a picture of great peace. But this is a man in Romans 7, who was doing the law blamelessly, he would say in Philippians 3. Same man, 
but still knowing the separation and the distance from the testimony's desire or demand to him, Paul, to man himself, flesh. There's a separation and a distance there that will never be bridged. The work of the cross is not to bridge those two things at all. It is to bring into those who are impotent and helpless in these matters. It is to bring into them the law and the righteousness of the law and the perfection demanded by the law is to bring into them that reality by spirit to overcome the weakness of the earthen vessel by placing the treasure of a law fulfilled within it, the riches of the grace and the divine reality of which the law testified to bring into that soul such completeness, thus bringing peace into that soul. That's why the word peace, let's, let's look at it here in Psalms 119. This is the Old Testament definition, uh, 7965, for those who, of you who use uh, Strong's Concordance. Um, but it's the word shalom. It means to be safe. If only that one word would really penetrate the heart, the understanding, the brain even, of, of believers to understand when we're talking about peace, a peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ being in us. If we could only understand that great peace means to be safe, safe. Because most people don't even understand that. They have no idea of how safe they are in Christ. Secure. It also means to prosper. It means to have, uh, to, let's see, have perfect peace to be safe, to be at rest, to be whole, to be complete. The word here also, this is another definition from, um, I think it's Thayer's. It means completeness, sound, welfare, peace, completeness, uh, tranquility and contentment. This is the reality that has been given. And when in reference to God, speaking of peace with God, it speaks of especially covenant relationship. Because covenant relationship is a relationship of certainty and security because covenant doesn't depend on the ability of both parties to uphold their end of the bargain. Covenant is a stronger party overcoming the weakness of the party he is invited to relate to him by covenant. That is why the new covenant has been given in us because it's God inviting that soul that could not approach it into it by his own power. 
bringing into that soul what that soul was incapable of. Knowing the soul was weak, knowing man was weak, impotent, incapable. He overcomes it by his presence, his grace, and brings our soul into a relationship that is defined. This is the beauty of the peace, the covenantal relationship defined by one man, the man of spirit abiding in the soul, crying out, Abba, Father. That's a divine relationship being imputed to a soul. A relationship that cannot be broken, that doesn't change day to day, that is not up and down like a roller coaster like many Christians are. It is safe. Why? Because it is not mine or yours. It is God's relationship being provided to the soul. It is the Father and the Son relating to one another in covenant, relating to one another in covenant in me and in you. We know such peace when we comprehend in the seeing of Jesus Christ that relationship as an ongoing keeping power in the soul. That is the, that's the mark of a peacemaker, one who doesn't point out the faults of everyone, but points out the perfection of the one and to those who are in that one declares such a peace and perfection and a safety because we're found in him having nothing of our own. Because if we had anything of our own that actually looked or, or, or was effectual to be a, a validation of our relationship, then my friends, we have no security at all. But when the relationship is solely and securely found in him, and our things and our approach and our thoughts and our actions and nothing of it has any part in, in the measurement of it or the dictation of it, then, buddy, you talk about something certain because a certain in him and as him, not I, but him who lives in me. That's a peace that we can declare to those who need to hear such peace. Listen to these words. This is what the gospel is all about, because this is, this is Romans 10 when he talks about those who preach that they need to hear, they need a preacher. This is exactly where he's getting this from. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace. You hear that? that proclaims peace, that brings good tidings of good. What good? The good that the law was merely a shadow of. See, the law was a shadow of the good things that was coming. Not that still is coming, but under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, uh, better, they were coming. Why? He was coming. He had not yet come. So the, so the, the law was a temporary arrangement until the good of which that law spoke and testified in many different ways and many different times until he came. And he came as the fulfillment of that. To bring peace, the, 
so uh, the mouth of the feet of them that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation. Same thing, peace and salvation. Same thing here. That saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Remember what he said again. To bring it back to a previous statement, because this is what it's about. This is the re recognition out from which those who are peacemakers present the truth of the gospel. They say unto these people, those who are publishing peace and salvation or declaring the peace of salvation to those who will hear. What is the declaration? Thy God reigns. Where are you saying this? Where is this declaration being made? Zion. Zion. Hebrews chapter 12. Ye are come unto Mount Zion. What else have you come to that Zion speaks of that is realized in Mount Zion where you have come? The city of God. The spirits of men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant. <clears throat> to the better blood we declare to those who are in Zion your God reigns what did we say previously with Solomon as long as he reigned from the time of his beginning to the time of the end of his reign, peace reigned in the land. Well, the beauty of our king is that he will never die. He does not change. He will never give up his throne. He sits upon his throne perfectly, <clears throat> enthroned upon his holy hill of Zion by God himself. Psalms 2. And in so doing, publishes peace, brings peace, salvation, <clears throat> where there are no enemies in the land, where there, we could say it this way, where there is no condemnation, where there is no corruptibility, where there is nothing reprovable, uh, where there is nothing blamable, no enemy, just peace, peace with God reigns in this land because he reigns that's the declaration of the gospel ladies and gentlemen if you're hearing anybody pointing to you and saying you better start measuring up then you need to walk away because there's only one who measured up and that is christ himself the grace of god that brings peace to the soul is that he has caused that one who is the full measure of all divine realities to dwell in you and be made unto you that life. Read it. First Corinthians <clears throat> chapter one, 28, 29, 30, 31, those verses, read the end of that chapter and tell me that's not the peace of God at work. It's a piece of God that is God himself that did this, that brought you into Christ and that has now made Christ to be unto you. Why? Because you can't be it yourself. 
You have no ability on your best day to be righteous. So God has brought peace in your soul by making Christ to be unto you the righteousness of God fulfilled, the sanctification of God realized, the wisdom of God in its fullness. That sound like Solomon? And as long as he abides and reigns in the soul, governs the heart by a work of grace, there is peace. That peace must be seen in the face of him who sits upon the throne. He must be seen. He must be known. He, we must grow in the grace and the recognition of the peace that God has given in Jesus Christ. Or we're still going to be a people who do not understand the safety, the completeness, the security of a covenantal relationship that God has brought us to by the grace of God. Excuse me. Ah, this room. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both Jew and Gentile one. See, this peace is not a respecter of person. The peace that God has brought does not matter because the work of the cross is there's neither Jew or Greek. The middle wall separation between us was the law. God has put that away. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Did he, did he kill the commandments on the cross? No. What he did was kill the, kill the man, kill the man who was contrary to the law and its testimony. He put him away and abolished that enmity making the law of God no longer necessary because the fulfillment of that law has come. And when that one lives in the soul, read it in Galatians chapter five, you, you see it beautiful. When that one comes and abides in the soul, made unto the soul, the perfect fruit of the spirit, then there is no law against that. There is no law that can bring charge against that perfection. That's what he's talking about, whether Jew or Greek. This is not about skin. This is about soul. This is about a soul in union with Christ, not the natural makeup of anybody. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Natural lineages have no place here. So he put that away, the law, commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, Jew and Gentile, one new man, so making peace. Now, is this Jew and Gentile getting together and saying, oh, we finally like each other? No, this is about God raising up one man from the dead who has abolished the enmity. Now God raises him up who has no enmity with God, and those who would come to be found in him, in that one man, is perfect peace. And that he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were far off and to them that were not. He preached the same peace to those who were way off, that's the Gentile, and those who were in the house naturally, those are the Jews. 
Paul was the perfect example of this, right? Those who have actually experienced the abolishment of division, separation from God, and the great separation between Jew and Gentile due to law observation, he's now become a proclaimer of that peace to those who are actually assuming that their works are a means of such togetherness. They think that they can apply the law and be at peace with God, or they believe because they have the law, they're at peace with God. And he's saying the only way we have peace with God is in the one new man that God has raised up, and it's not Jew or Gentile. That's a, that's a peacemaker. The one who declares that the peace of God has nothing to do with Jew or or Greek has nothing to do with law or not. It has nothing to do with circumcised or uncircumcised because they are unprofitable. Both are unprofitable. Peacemaker does not lay the emphasis upon the things that have no power. The peacemaker lays all, all of the weight upon the power and sufficiency of the indwelling Christ and says, because he is your life, then there is no separation. We are found in him not having anything of our own. He is my life. He is our peace. Paul was, we should be proclaiming to those who are yet in a state of separation from God that the separation is no longer necessary. Because peace with God has come in a perfect life. And if you will believe, the grace of God will bestow that perfect life to you. The, the wall that divided man from God, man from man, Jew and Gentile, it's all gone. Come, rest, rest under the kingship of a man who has no enemy because he has overcome his enemies. Romans chapter three, <clears throat> verse 17. The way this is a uh, 1723. Now uh, let's contextualize this a little bit. He's spoken about, he's spoken about Jew and Gentile, no matter Jew or Gentile, the law has concluded all under sin or to be sinners because they're under the headship of Adam. He'll go on to say in verse five, that's basically the full complement of this context. But here he's speaking of them who the law condemns. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that seek God. Not one. Is that man? What a statement. See, such a statement in the mind of men would not allow for peace. But when you understand the conclusion God has brought, the thing that God has done to counteract the corruptibility and incompetence and, and incapacity of men, then you can rejoice with the peace of God that has been given. Here's the men that, that the law condemns, Jew and Gentile. The way of peace have they not known. That's verse 17 of Romans 3. 
There's no fear of God before their eyes. We know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. Do you see that? Because it declares a perfection that men cannot acquire or achieve or attain. So it shuts the mouth of those who would boast in their righteousness. Because it shows there is none, not one. So his conclusion in verse 20 is therefore <clears throat> by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in God's sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law makes sin to be seen and understood to be exceedingly sinful. He says later in Romans, but now, see, but now in Christ Jesus, who you, you who are far off have been made nigh, but now. The difference between two ages is the but now in Christ Jesus. But now the righteousness of God without the law is made manifest. A righteousness has come that the law testified, but that righteousness that has come is no longer makes, the, let, let's say this, makes the law and its observance now unnecessary because it is the very thing the law pointed to. Once you've reached the goal, there's nothing else. Once you've reached the end of the matter, that thing has no other purpose but to bring you to the end. That's the only reason the law existed as far as Paul's concerned, to give, to bring us to Christ as a schoolmaster, to lead us to him so that he may be in us what the law could not make us but demanded of us. But now the righteousness of God without law is made manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, meaning that's what the law and the prophets spoke of, was this righteousness that was without, outside of the law. Now he's come. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus unto all and upon all, that believe, for there's no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why this was necessary. That's why this was necessary. They had not known peace, but now God has brought peace. He had to do it because there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned. There's no methodology to righteousness. There is the necessity of God imputing righteousness to those who are in themselves barren and impotent. And I say that based upon Romans chapter four, where he goes to next, speaking of Abraham and Sarah, a man that had to believe that God who promised could perform what he promised because he could not in himself. So Romans chapter five, and we'll end here today. Romans chapter five, verse one <clears throat> says it very plainly. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This goes directly to Paul stating further in Romans, in Romans eight, those who are led by the spirit, they are the sons of God. They have been led 
by the spirit of God to the peace of God. These sons of God will now who have come to such peace, a peace that passes all understanding, a state of safety, security, completeness, wrought of God and not wrought of us, they will be proclaimers of such peace to those who are in the house and those who are outside of the house. And they'll say to those who are in the house, your God reigns. And because he reigns, the land is at peace and has no enemy. There is nothing to upset this peace. That's what it means to offend. It cannot upset it. Those who have loved the law until it's in, they will not be offended. Great peace have they. The word offended means not only to be upset, but it means to be uh, persuadable, convincible, enticeable. Specifically, and this is from the New Exhaustive Strongs, it says <clears throat> an enticement, which is the word offended, they offend. They cannot be enticed, specifically speaking of an idol. They cannot be enticed by an idol, which is man's view, man's understanding, a God that man has created in his own imagined image. That's what peace does. Peace keeps you from being persuadable toward that which will give no peace, but will put you under the bondage of works, efforts, and wasted energies. Because peace proclaimed by the peacemaker will cause you to come and receive a life that bestows all the things that you thought you could do in a moment. He bestows it in an instant, in a moment, in a second, if you will, in the twinkling of an eye. Those who have been led by God to the goal, which is what it means to be led by the Spirit, they are those who have found and know the peace of God that has been given in Christ. And they are the ones who will proclaim that peace to all who will hear. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. There is nothing missing, fellas. There's nothing lacking in him. Come. Come and receive all things. Or to those who are in the house, you have all things. All things are yours. So, <clears throat> We'll call that a session, guys. I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for um, tuning into these YouTube classes. Appreciate that. If you have any uh, questions or anything, um, feel free to um, to ask. Looking at the counter here, um, we we would love to love to answer them. If you um, you know have any. Uh, other comments would love to read or hear those.
So again, as I did the last time, let me just uh, go back. Let me look at the, let's see, I could probably do it here faster. The date for the uh, June Bible conference is June the uh, 21st through the 25th. June 21st through the 25th, that's the last full week of the month of uh, June. And so they, those are the uh, dates that we have for the conference. So if you are able to come, please do. Um, and we'd love to have you, really. We'd love, we would love to have as many of you who are able to get here this year. Last year was a little weird. This year, things are getting a little back to normal. Um, pretty much back to normal here. Uh, you don't have to worry about all of the restrictions and stuff with us, but, um, you know, however you feel comfortable, we would love to still have you here, be a part of these times together this week of sharing and, um, you know, experiencing and growing in this grace that God has given to us in Christ. So please do, if, if you, you know, have any information that you want, we're going to email out some information about places to stay and that type of thing. There are Airbnbs here uh, in the area that you can also go on Airbnb and find places to rent here for that week. Um, I would suggest if you're going to do that to get that pretty quickly because things do tend to uh, around that time of year, there's a homecoming uh, in Leslie, which is right above us. And, you know, the river and all of the things to do outside here draw people this time of year or that time of year to the river. And uh, so you may want to try to get some of those Airbnb rentals uh, early if, if that's uh, something you're inclined to do. But if you have any other questions, you can contact us. My, name, my uh, email is ravenbird at gmail.com. So feel free to do that, or you can um, email cmibrc at yahoo.com. I'll also get that. So either way, uh, we'll, we'll try to help you if we possibly can. All right, guys. Thanks so much. I appreciate the, uh, the um, time that you have shared with me and the patience listening. Thanks so much. Amen.